brought to you by CGTN Europe. I'm Stephen Cole. Welcome to The Agenda. The dating business is estimated to be worth $12 billion worldwide in what is an increasingly competitive market with more than 300 million active users of the thousands of dating apps out there. Today on the Agenda podcast, we talk to a relationship historian about the potential damage that dating apps could be doing to our relationships. But first, I talk to Eden Blackman about starting his own dating app. In the early days of online dating, when I tried it, I got hit with a number of semi-fake profiles and, and pictures that weren't what I call real and recent. So I just looked at what the business is worth and the fact that what companies were charging to have this service and thought maybe we can do an app where you can guarantee the picture is real and recent. You might be onto something. How do you get people to subscribe to an app when you can get so many for free? Well, it depends the levels what you call free, Stephen. I mean... A lot of the apps, you're able to look at matches and you're able to send them a message. But when you get a reply back, you can't see the reply until you subscribe. So it depends what kind of what model you're on and what you're using the apps for, to be absolutely truthful. So can you, is it possible to describe a sort of typical user? <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, probably 10, 15 years ago, absolutely, you could have given it a description. But I think since the uh, kind of advance of Tinder... I think everyone knows someone that's either online dating or knows someone that's online dating. So it's as, it's as wide as, as it needs to be. And it used to be mainly young people, but there's been a huge surge, hasn't mm. there, in people, say, over the age of 50 yeah. who are now using the app. Yeah, I mean, it's called mature dating, I can say that, because I'm over 50 myself without any repercussions. Um, but it's a huge market, and it's simply because... Match was the first online dating site. It was formed in 1994, and that, as we know, was a very, very long time ago. And some people have got married and divorced in that time, and they could have been married 15, 20 years, and all of a sudden they're dropped into the world of online dating, which is fantastic because it brings them 15 million single people in the UK, but obviously has its drawbacks. So the, the over 50s who mm. are subscribing, they're mainly people who have come out of marriages. They're not discovering it for the first time. Yeah, they're, they're either people that have been in long-term relationships or have been single for that amount of time and have been badgered by their friends to try online dating. The majority of them people who have come out of long-term relationships, though. Do you think we could see, because there's such huge popularity mm. with the dating apps, we could see eventually a sort of backlash against dating apps? Well, I think we've been through the first backlash and I think there's probably more to come. I mean, the problem we have with dating apps is that, you know, Sarah meeting Stephen on a dating app and getting married and have children is not news. It's always when something goes wrong in a dating app that makes the headlines. And unfortunately, those are the headlines that kind of give the idea to other people that maybe it's not as, as kind of safe as it should be. What I say to those people is you should be as safe online as you are offline. It's the same red flags. Is there a difference between the way most women use a dating app to the way most men use a dating app? A or really, the reasons? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, there are. I mean, we tend to find that when we do our parties, when we get the guys and girls together, we say there's a limited guest list because also we've got a venue to fill. And I would say the first 90% of the people that ask come out are, are girls. And they're very proactive. Us guys can be quite lazy. I've seen some of the opening lines that guys send to girls, and they are appalling. I mean, Give us hey, an example. Hey is, I mean, who, I mean, imagine if you're in a bar and somebody came up to you and went, hey, and you go, hey. 
And then where do you go from there? It's like uh, the girls are beautiful. They'll send it. They'll read the profile and they'll put something in it about it, either about your pet or your tattoos or whatever you put in there. Guys, hey, please. So do dating apps, you think, suit women better than men? They're better users? I think, I think women are naturally more open to, to, to having conversations. I think guys struggle. And I've personally been the one where you go to send a message and you write it six or seven times because you just read it and go, you sound like an idiot. But all we're actually saying is, hello, I saw your profile. You know, I'd love to talk. Is there any stigma left, do you think, in using dating apps? Any embarrassment left? No, I don't think there's embarrassment. I think, as I said, when Tinder came along, it kind of flattened the landscape and everyone knows somebody that's either been on Tinder or on Tinder themselves. I think the backlash comes from people who say online dating isn't for me. If you've never tried an onion, you don't know whether you like it or not. At least try it once and then come back to me. Have you tried a dating app? I tried a bunch of dating apps when I was single a bunch of years ago, had a really good time and came back to them sometime later when I was single again and then met a girl and we dated for about two years. So I always had, I always had a reasonably good time. My girlfriend that I'm dating at the moment, I met on Bumble, which is a great app, which is uh, its USB is that the, the women are the ones who are able to send messages first. So if you match on Bumble as a guy, it's, you cannot send a message. It's the girls that have to send it first. So I think the backlash, we'll, get, we'll do another one in a couple of years' time. It, 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 it goes like that. Can you predict what you think the next big thing will be in dating? In dating, I think verification, which is what we do at Would Like to Meet, will we'll kind of forge through. I think over the last 10 years, there's been a lot of niche apps. There are apps out there for women who like beards, they're out there for people who are vegetarians and Christians and all of these kind of different ways of life. I think they will dissipate and I think they'll break away. There's currently, I think, 1,500 dating apps in the UK available. Really only about 20 of those are worth doing. So I think there'll be a kind of a breakdown of the, of the, of the bad ones and the, the cream will rise to the top. Dating apps have potentially changed the way an entire generation approaches romance. Has this change been for the better? Or has something been lost in the rush to move dating online? To answer both questions, I spoke to relationships historian Zoe Strimple about how this new form of dating could have unforeseen consequences. What is it, Zoe, about modern dating um, that attracts you and makes you want to write about it? Well, I was interested in figuring out um, the impact that the internet really did have on our behavior and our expectations and our kind of romantic practices, as it were. And I began my kind of historical research with a sort of question, which was, did the internet really kind of rupture everything? What my research finds is that if we want to understand where we are today, we actually do need to look, at least in kind of Western countries, especially the Anglosphere, we need to look to around 1970. Um, the dawn of all kinds of you know, feminism, changes in how easy it was to get divorced, birth control, so on and so forth. General reshifting around of how people approach intimacy, sexuality, everything else. But I do think there has been a, a crucial kind of change point with the launch of the apps like Tinder, which was about t 2013 when they really got into gear. And I think that actually has started almost a new epoch, which is perhaps its own thing that is less tethered um, to that kind of 1970s moment than, for instance, the early internet dating sites were. So I think we are now in a, in a bit of a new period. Um, but I, I think that, that there are still much older sort of social trends that are kind of working themselves out, in, in, even in the kind of radically, seemingly alien way that we're dating now. 
a new period in what respect? Well, I think that... Because um, men still want to meet women and women yeah. want to meet women and, and so on and so on. But what happened with the apps that never quite took off before was an economies of scale effect and a kind of massive network effect such that um, sort of... It took people quite a long time to work out really how to use the internet um, for dating. For so, love. For love. And people would always say, and this, this stretches back even to the 19th century with each new technology for, for kind of helping people meet, oh, it's the modern way, it's the normal way, there's no stigma. They said that about the early you know, match uh, and, and the other kind of desktop online dating sites. Um, and it, it, it just wasn't true. The apps... It really has, it is, there are so many people, it just took off like wildfire. So it is, um, it's a new era in the sense that those old concerns have totally changed and it's, it's got its own dynamics that are to do with sheer quantities and volume of, of turnover. It wasn't that long ago that uh, going to a dating agency would be considered really embarrassing. Only lonely people crept into those mm. and put their name down to meet someone. But now, uh, one generation, the modern younger generation, seems completely unashamed, completely unembarrassed yeah. about using dating apps. And that's the big change. That's what I mean about the, 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 the new era, because, um, yes, it was so because it was adopted by young had, people. What impact has that yeah. had on the love process, on the dating process, on the relationships yeah. between people? This thing about young people taking it up is absolutely key and really interesting. Um, that inevitably will have an impact because suddenly you've got 22-year-olds jostling to kind of meet each other in this new format. So they don't actually get, they aren't learning courtship in, you know, offline situations in the way that previous generations did. The other thing, again, as I said before, is to do with economies of scale in a way, or maybe I should just say I, scale. Did, did, what do you mean economies of scale? You've got to well, explain. Well, sheer kind of upsizing. So you suddenly get a kind of different effect when you go from a, you know, it's not an intimate um, exchange anymore. It's not even a sort of dating site with some thousands of people. It's you've got millions and millions on, on it. Um, and it's so it's a sort of effect. So the choice is so, so right. wide. So it's a sort of you're throwing so much at the wall, some sticks. And what sticks is it, it's just a completely different set, like quite a lot sticks. So there's just much more interaction. There's much more turnover. There's much more choice. And therefore, there's much more callousness. There's, there's a completely there's a shift in ah. how you see your potential dates. They stop being sources of excitement. Ooh, maybe this. You stop. You're discouraged to think too deeply about each potential match. A match is a throwaway concept. Potential for sort of rather shallow encounters is greater. Is that what you're saying? I mean, the potential for shallow encounters is enormous. In fact, the, that's the system in a way is, is, is lends itself to that. Um, but as I say, with so much turnover, some proportion will be a serious encounter, but you have to wade through a lot of casual callous behavior before you get to that more serious thing. Is it uh, addictive or potentially addictive behavior? Oh, completely. I mean, it's like the same effect of social media, the sort of effect of the red light or the alert or the yes or the swipe, but, you know, it all lights up as a dopamine reaction in your brain. Um, and it's addictive on quite, a prof on quite a deep level. It's a psychosexual level. It's an addiction to a form of validation that could, you know, be deeper even than getting likes on Facebook, because these are people who are potentially saying you're beautiful or you're attractive or they want to be with you. And these are very powerful sort of things to, to feel like you're getting from, from strangers. And then the other thing, which, you know, I don't know if you're coming to this or not, but it's a big one, is the addiction of wondering what else is out there. If you choose a choice, you've chosen something and that inevitably locks out something So you're else. almost treating it like online shopping as opposed to online dating. Right, which can't work because people aren't products.
So that ends up backfiring. But the brain thinks, I think people think it's very easy to be seduced into thinking you are, it's like almost for free because you're not paying per person that you interact with in the way that you'd pay for a shoe that you bought every, every extra shoe. So you think it's this kind of cornucopia of choice, but then you come up against the very real fact that they aren't shoes and coats and, and boots. They are people. And people may, you, you may think you can buy someone off the shelf. You can't. That person may say, no, thank you. I don't want to be taken off the shelf or you're not for me. And it's actually a much more complicated set of interactions. I don't think you can avoid those. But because it's, you know, people are in a rush and they're dealing with so many people, some of that gets compressed so that nobody really has time to or the capacity to, to work out what could be an exponentially complicated situation, which is why these new behaviors like ghosting and things like that come in, which help people cope, which is just quick ways of rejecting, going completely dead on someone, you know, treating people quite badly because to wade into the complexity of treating everybody you encounter in a reasonable way and exploring everything is just impossible. The mind would explode. That brings us to the end of another edition of The Agenda. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. The Agenda with Stephen Cole airs every Saturday on CGTN.com. You can also find us on CGTN Europe Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. The most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on, uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world, can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge, and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.